I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Episode 177 of Below the Belt. Uh, back again, joined by my good friend Craig Scott. How are you, sir? Good, mate. Good. 177, just missed the light heavyweight limit, but all good. We have uh, given away our titles on the scales. Have, How are you? Yeah, that's, that's, I'm all right. Two pounds, you know. know. That's when people would start questioning, questioning your professionalism, isn't it, really? <laughs> Couldn't you have sweated that off? Mm. Well... Yeah, all good, mate. Looking forward to um, looking forward to the weekend, and it's been a busy week. So yeah, I'm all good, man. You're you're off on holiday. You were saying you've got next week no, off. I've just got the week off. It's uh, it's my birthday on Monday. Uh, oh, yeah. It's uh, I'm gonna be forty and oh. Um, yeah, I know. I look incredible for it. Um, so yeah, it's um, so I've just got the week off. Nothing really planned for it. Um, yeah, so that'd be nice. That would be nice. Um, it's okay. Uh, who, who's your favorite light heavyweight? As soon as you missed the episode, any fights stand out? Any fighters stand out? Anything as you mentioned? Um, no, nah. what at the moment or in general? In general, ever. Um, oh, I don't really have a favorite light heavyweight to be honest, mate. I, obviously, I watch a lot of boxing, but it's not really a division that's grabbed me by the the short and curlies in, in recent years. I think the British scene's quite nice just now. I'm quite enjoying the people who are lined up and who could potentially fight one another, but it needs to happen, doesn't it? I think we have to see it. We have to see it kicking off. Uh, loving loving Beterbiev. Love Beterbiev for the last five to seven years. Just that icy, cold demeanour, just, just destroying people. Like Bivol. Bivol kind of went under the radar for a while as well. I hope those two end up fighting, but he kind of... He sort of 
plodded along, didn't he? Just keeping people in the end of a jab, and, and now he's he's getting a bit of attention after the Canelo win. So interesting to see where the division goes. But I think in the UK, it's wide open for that next crop of light heavyweight. Yes. Because everybody that's at the top, uh, they're all kind of 30, just over the other side of 30. Uh, and there's not really a lot of sort of young, burgeoning light heavyweights coming through at the moment. So interesting to see where it goes. Who were the, uh, who were the other shouts for favourite light heavyweights? Uh, it, it was, uh, Paul Zanon did the uh, light heavyweight episode. Um, yeah, the, he, John Conte was talking about him, he was talking about Bob Foster. Yeah. He really dug into the into the crates uh, for a couple of those. Um, I think, yeah, and then obviously some talk on Roy Jones uh, as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, for me, I always liked Adonis Stevenson. I like Chad Dawson and I liked Adonis mm-hmm. Stevenson, which is weird because they, you know, one, the title went from one to the other. Um, yeah. I liked Adonis. He was just, there wasn't much variety to him, but he was kind of, yeah. he was kind of uh, box office, wasn't he, you know? He was one of those guys yeah. that people. He looked quite basic, but people couldn't work him out for a long time until until I think it was Vosdick that beat him in the end. Um, mm. So yeah, I liked him. I thought he was good. Uh, I liked. I liked. Yeah, him. Stevenson was good. Um, yeah, the, he was always one of those guys that would just always dig out a big punch from somewhere, wasn't he? There was always one coming. You just didn't know when it was going to land. He absolutely battled Tony Bellew, didn't he? Which I know you're probably. Did he, he did, didn't he? he oh, yeah, he stopped him. Stopped him in the corner. Yeah. I've got the, the gif Four or on, five on a loop. Yeah, but when, I, when I'm struggling to sleep, I'll just put that gif on a loop. And <laughs> that'll, that'll, send me right, that'll send me right off. My favourite light heavyweight uh, since retiring is Nathan Cleverly. He's off his fucking nut, isn't he? That's bless him. I, really liked, I really liked him, you know, because he worked his way kind of through the traditional route. Yeah, um, smart guy, maths degree. You know, he seemed like feet on the ground, and then yeah, he's just he's living another life now. Oh, bless him! Well, oh, bless him! Well, as long as he's, do you know what? You know, that's freedom of speech for you. If if he wants to go out there and say absolute madness, then it's up to him. As long as he's not hurting nobody, then crack on. I don't know much about. Yeah, him. Yeah, you know, yeah. Best of luck to him. Best of luck to him. Um, <laughs> it's a hard game boxing, so yeah, I can imagine yeah. it takes its toll on you. Um, former light talking of light heavies former light heavyweight titleist Canelo Alvarez what a way to introduce him considering he's the undisputed super middleweight champion of the world um, where we actually now I think about it, he's, he's racked up a few defences now of the undisputed title is he getting into that Calzaghe Andre Ward kind of space of you know being the best super middle I think it's hard to say when you look at the people he's run through isn't it like Callum Smith was supposed to be a decent test and Callum Smith was a shell of himself, you know, he never really got out of, got out of the dressing room in that fight and was kind of overawed maybe by the occasion or, or by Canelo's confident approach despite being a smaller man. Then he beat, uh, you know, he's beat Yildirim, he's beat John Ryder, you know, no disrespect to John Ryder, I think he put up a great fight, but, you know, he's... He's he started, he's spent all of his career at middleweight and then stepped up and had a couple of losses at super middle. I think when you look at the level of people that Canelo's beaten at super middleweight, he's beaten them all very confidently, but they haven't really been elite level competition, if you like, or, or the kind of competition that would put him up there with the best super middles. I guess if you look at dominance alone, then maybe. Mm. And and if he was to fight a Benavidez and beat Benavidez, you go, well, who's who really stands a chance of beating him? Maybe David Morel? A lot of people are quite hot on David Morrell, who looks pretty good, the Cuban. Uh, and they're all with PBC now, so so maybe. Mm-hmm. But 
I think he needs a couple of those big fights, to be honest. The super middle run that he's been on hasn't really impressed me that greatly. No, that's that's the thing, isn't it? Because if you think about Ward and you think about Kalzaghi, Kalzaghi had longevity in the sense that he had the WBO belt for a long while. But actually, by the time he got to the point of you know unifying and winning the lineal title and all of that, he was quickly gone to light heavy. Whereas with Andre Ward, he he, he won the won the won the Super Six, wasn't he? He Won the Super Six. Yep, yep. And then after, I think he beat Chad Dawson after that. Uh, Chad Dawson went down to 168, you know. And then he was gone. He did his shoulder and then he was gone. So yeah. them two don't really, I suppose you could argue Kawasaki has the longevity. Um, I think I'd probably put Ward over Kawasaki, I think just because of quality think, of wins. I think you've got to look at Froch as oh, well. Yeah, I, don't yeah, think yeah, can, yeah. I don't think you can rule Froch out of that, that debate. Um, the manner of his wins, the you know the big the big fights he was in, uh, always exciting as well, and and fought a lot of top names. So, Froch isn't far away for me um, in terms of our lifetime. And I think if you go back further, the division was still relatively new. You know, it was generally guys that were a little bit too light for light heavyweight, or a little bit too overblown for middleweight, and it's only really became probably a destination division, if that's the way to put it, in the last 20, 30 years. So, yeah, interesting. Put put them in order. Calzaghi, Froch, Ward, Canelo. Ward. Ward. I'm I'm kind of between Froch and Calzaghi second and third to be honest and I would put Canelo at the bottom just now I think Canelo's biggest achievements were at lighter weights and I think the only reason I'm putting Ward ahead of the other two is because Ward for me never really looked close to getting beat at that weight he never looked close to getting beat those two guys were in some decent scraps Calzaghi I suppose you could argue as well Froch lost a few um, but Ward for me just looked a level above the whole time he was there you know he was under pressure against Kovalev and got put down and scraped a, a win in the first fight but yeah, I'd, I'd probably go in that order. What do you think? What would you say? Yeah, probably Ward. It's interesting because both Froch and Kawasaki beat Kessler. So, but and but what you could argue is Kawasaki, you know, beat a prime Kessler, but also beat the guy to beat at the time, whereas Froch never beat the guy to beat. Like he would never. Yeah. He got to the final. Fort Ward lost. Fort Kessler lost. Like so. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I'd probably go. Yeah. Ward, Calzaghi, Froch, Canelo. Um, yeah. Canelo's an interesting career as well, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, he's kind of having an Oscar. I'm. I'm. I'm doing a, an an internal Oscar de la Hoya comparison, but I might be completely. <laughs> I might be completely wrong because uh, I've not put much thought into it. Um, but yeah, Canelo won. Defended the undisputed. Lineal, whatever, super middleweight championships. Oh, that was a bit shit, wasn't it, Craig? It was a, a yeah. It was a big bag of hot air, wasn't it? I think everybody thought it was going to be great and thought that Charlo was going to show up and cause nightmares for Canelo, and it just never really worked out that way. You know, we spoke about, or I spoke about Callum Smith sort of never leaving the dressing room when he fought Canelo. You know, arguably. Charlo was the same, you know, he stepped up, he seemed full of confidence, he seemed his usual self and then as soon as the first round was done and Canelo just started walking him down trying to land one big shot, Charlo seemed to go into a shell and, and that confidence was drained until probably the ninth, 10th round where he started to eventually let his hands go 
because Derek James was berating him in the corner, but it's a bit of a non-event, you know, it was very one-paced. Um, Canelo now has got this, he's got this sort of, I used to love, I just used to love watching him when he was throwing combinations. I used to love him watching, I love watching him throw five and sixes and, you know, when he fought Golovkin, the, you know, the first second fight against Golovkin, I thought he's so good. You love watching him. Technically, he was brilliant. You know, his combinations were beautiful. He was picking great shots and, now he just seems to want to walk forward and throw a big hook, you know, and it, he kind of warmed up a little bit and let his hands go a little bit, but the last few times I've seen him, I've just thought, the output is definitely slowing down, the feet are slowing down a little bit, he's getting caught with shots that he probably wouldn't, and the Ryder fight's probably a, a prime example, you know, John Ryder ended up sort of growing into that fight, he was never going to win it, but he landed a couple of tasty uppercuts, you know, he roughed him up a little bit, and Canelo for me has totally changed the style that he fights with now and against a guy like Charlo who's much smaller and maybe you know curls into a ball and, and shivers in the corner against him, you know, that'll work. But against a guy like a David Morel or a Benavides, you know, throwing a throwing a single big shot's not gonna not really gonna get you anywhere. If he wants a rematch with Bivol, he loses again, probably you know, probably wider. I just I don't think that's the way to beat those guys. Um and I don't know now. He's almost lowered his output and lowered his style to fight at that pace. At that age, I don't know if you can turn it back up again. I don't know if you. I don't know if you can go. Well, actually, I'll go back to doing that now. I'll throw punches and punches. I'll throw combinations. I don't know if that's an option. I don't know if that was a choice or if that's something that's been dictated by age, miles on the clock. You know, a little bit too much belief in your own strength and your own power. I'm not sure. It's it's an interesting one, but. Uh, yeah, I think the, the fight the fight flattered to deceive, and I think the week before it was probably more interesting than the fight itself. Yeah, there's a couple of bits. Do you think, did you give Did you give Charlo much of a chance going into it? I thought he was. Good. I think I made the I think I made the mistake of inter- expecting him to turn up. I think is to be blunt. I yeah I I thought I think yeah I can't remember. I think I recorded with John uh, last week, and I said, look, this is the fight of your life, Jamel. This is this is it. This is the biggest fight you are ever going to be in. It's you're stepping up two divisions against the undisputed champion, a guy that's going to go into the Hall of Fame, the biggest name in the sport. This is your opportunity. And I thought that he would grasp it. I thought the fact that he's taking the fight makes me think, okay, he's going to go for it. But you could see, actually, on the final announcements how this was going to be because Jamel looked soft. He looks soft mm. round the middle. The shorts were a little bit high anyway. And um, I thought, oh, he looks a bit soft. And I thought, yeah, he's in trouble here. Because I thought because I thought to myself, okay, he's never going to go back to like middleweight. If you're going to go up to super middleweight, you know, you've got to put on a bit of muscle. And, you know, even if it means you can go back down the middle, you can't back down, go back down to like middle. So you're going to put on a bit of muscle and you're going to go for it. And when I saw him in the ring, a little bit soft, I thought, oh, dear. Oh dear, he's just eating his way up to the weight. I'm not saying fat, he was out of shape or anything, but he just wasn't in fight of your life shape. Like, do you know what I mean? He wasn't in that, this is the biggest moment of my life shape. He just wasn't. Um, And so, yeah, I think you can tell from there, you you made an interesting point about Canelo. And you said something I thought as he fallen in love with his own power. You know, which you see a lot of fighters do. They just they'll get the odd stop. They'll get a stoppage here and there. It happened to Matthew Macklin. He beat that guy for the European title, and everyone thought he was a puncher after that. Um, yeah. 
And yeah, it, it seems like, but I think you're right. I think it's surgeries. I think it's age. I think it's wear and tear. And now he's happy to just use ring generalship, walk you down, let you tire yourself out and then start to pick you off. And that's what he did. That's what he did with Charlo. I don't think, I think I gave Charlo round nine. I don't think I gave Charlo anything other than round nine. Um, Canelo won everything for me. Um, and then they obviously scored the knockdown in the seventh and he probably could have got him out of there, probably just about run out of time. Um... I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. But yeah, so it's interesting because you think of a guy like Benavidez, who is volume. That's a, vol- he is a guy that throws in volume. Did you notice the little bit when Jim Gray asked him, are you fight Dave Benavidez afterwards? His voice just went up and up, Dave. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I think that's an interesting fight. People have been calling for the Benavidez fight for a while. I think there's probably just a bit of reluctance from Canelo's side because Benavidez, as good as he is, he's had a bit of a stop-start career. He hasn't really established himself as a big star. Mm. Um and obviously the same as the same as David Morrell, you know, who's who's less of a star and less well known. It's probably that risk v reward type thing. Does he go up and fight Bivol? You know, the old redemption angle, and you know, if he loses, it's still not the end of the world. He can come back down again, or does he take a chance with a guy like Benavidez or a guy like Morrell and and potentially lose? And then people start to really go, mm, "Is he on the slide now?" Because that's his own weight class, or that's where he's looked so comfortable. It's different measuring yourself against where you've been comfortable, isn't it? You know, if you. It's the same as if you go and do your day job. If you go and do your day job every single day and then one day you're completely shit at your day job, people go, what's going on there? But if you go and do a hobby after work that you never really do and you have an off night, like playing football or training or whatever, people don't really care because it's just a hobby, right? It's just a one-off. So it's it's what people have become used to you delivering. And when that starts to slip, then people start to ask questions about whether you've, you've really still got what it takes. Well, I suppose, yeah, you're right, with a Benavidez... You can lose to a Bivol, right? Because they do, you can blame the weight. You can blame weight. You can blame styles. You go, do you know what? He's a light heavy. I'm not, right? I'm the, yeah. I'm, the, I'm still the super middleweight champion, right? Which was why he wanted the rematch at light heavy. Because if he lost again, he's still the super middleweight champion. If he loses to Benavidez, he's not the super middleweight champion. He's lost to a super middleweight and he's lost to a Mexican. And he can't, yeah. he can't lose to a Mexican. Which I think is why that voice went up a slightly bit. Because... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think he wants to fight him because there's a lot of reasons why not. Now, David Morrell, he could get a bullshit decision. You could see him getting a bullshit decision, um, but that does yeah. nothing for him. What's Morrell, like 9-0 and or something, 10-0? and um, Yeah, it's not. Whereas Benavidez, Benavidez is, his output is going to be so much that I'm not even sure Canelo could get a bullshit decision. 
Yeah, I do. Uh, I do really like Morel. Mm. I think Morel's superb, um, and I think what's good about him is he's almost part of that new age wave of of Cuban fighters who aren't just there to try and outscore you the way they would in an amateur bout. Like he's coming to fucking knock you out. It's the same as. Uh, you know these these get Robisi Ramirez now. He's not coming to try and outscore you and win another gold medal. He's coming to try and knock you out. And and those Cubans for me are the peak in terms of what you want to watch. I used to love watching Cuban fighters when they were just schooling people. Um, now I love it because it's that combination. They've started to add that spite. It's almost as though the new generation have started to realise if we want to become commercial stars or we want to capture the attention of boxing fans, we can't go out and regondo everybody. We you know we have to have something else to add. So. Uh, really exciting to see where Mariel goes as well and uh, yeah, I probably doubt that Canelo ever fights him to be honest yeah probably not um, it's interesting when you say about Cuban fights you think about you know, like Rigondo um, Guzman um, Lara you've got these fighters that are kind of uh, like Guzman what a fucking waste of talent that was do you know what I mean um, yeah. Lara who's kind of had an up and down career Lara amazingly is the WBA middleweight champion of the world uh, as we speak um, <laughs> fuck knows how and let's talk about him fighting Danny Garcia <laughs> mental mental like if there's an easy belt for Chris Eubank Jr. to get it's that like come on Lara is like 48 years old yeah surely um, but yeah bless him Chris he doesn't want belts he wants money which is absolutely fair enough yeah um, there was Canelo was like after the fight he said this Canelo nobody can beat this Canelo I fucking love boxing uh, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> I can't do accents. I cannot do accents. Um, do, do, did he look any better, Canelo, do you think? Did he look like re, rejuvenated, better, or was he just, did he have a heavy bag in front of him? I thought he looked I thought he looked very similar to how he looked when he fought Billy Joe Saunders. Marching Charlo down, throwing big shots, in control, wasn't really scared of what was coming back. He had no fear of what Charlo was throwing back. Even when he got... You know, that ninth round you mentioned when he got hit with a couple of nice combinations, they, they made no dent, really, did they? He, was, he kind of walked through them, shook them off, marched forward and threw another big shot. To me, he didn't look... He didn't look worse than he's looked no. in the last two or three fights, but he, he didn't look better. He hasn't started a, an incline again in terms of his ability. I think he's he's plateaued, and I don't think he was worse, but I think we're probably seeing him at... At the highest level, he will be for the remainder of his career, I would say. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think he has peaked. I think that's it's obvious he's peaked. What is he, 33 now? He's had a long career, a lot of injuries, a lot of fights. He's been very active as a fighter. And he carried us through COVID during that period where there wasn't much boxing on. He was boxing three times a year yeah. um, and yeah. cleaning up super middle. Um, but yeah, I think the best of him probably was those, those Golovkin fights and perhaps the early run at... Um, at super yeah. middleweight, um, yeah, I think you have to you have to give him you have to give him a lot of credit these days because to fight with that frequency when you're that huge is you know you have to tip your hat to that sort of stuff. You also have to tip your hat to the fact he came up to super middleweight, and regardless of whether we rate the opponents when they fought him, he went, "Who's got that belt? Fuck it, I'll take that. Who's got that belt? I'll knock you out." You can't argue with that. It's not. It's not up to him who's got the belts. He picked them all off one by one, battered them all comfortably. It's not his fault who who had them or how they performed on the night. He, he did everything he had to do, and he did it in a very short space of time, which is extremely rare nowadays. So, uh, I think we have to appreciate him while he's here. Whatever he chooses to do now, 
he's almost done enough. And I think he'll be in a couple of big fights. But for me, huge star. Um, and, and his resume speaks for itself. The number of fights he's had, the, the guys he's fought on the way up, the guys he's still fighting just now. And he's only failed one drugs test. Which... <laughs> Not too bad. That's not bad. Not bad. <laughs> not bad. And actually, the excuse was semi-believable because of that, <laughs> the whole Mexican beef thing. I was like, nah, maybe, yeah. maybe. <laughs> but not only one. That's not bad. That's not this one. Just this one. one. Um, what made you want to? What made you want to bring back contaminated food before before we carry on? Um, the honest answer. I had. I just had a bit of spare time. And I thought, I don't really have anything on. I don't have any competing priorities. I think my wife was working for the weekend. So I was like, shit, it's not going to eat into real life. And I think there was enough to talk about. Um, all the Frank Smith stuff, all the Eddie Heron stuff, all that bullshit. It just seemed like it was a, a topical week. And I think that's what I'll do, mate. I'll just... Someone messaged me during the week. And they were like, is it coming back this week? And I was like, nah. There's the, it's just going to be as and when. But what was really interesting was... You know, when I teased it coming back that week, the the reception and the interaction and people sharing it, people viewing the post and stuff was way above what it used to be when I done it every week. So kind of showed me there was, it was quite nice, like not fucking blowing my own horn, but it was nice to know people were looking forward to it coming back. You know, the views, the people that read it, the people that clicked it and shared it was, you know, was great. It was one of the best ones I've done. So yeah, it was nice. It's nice to know the audience hasn't fizzled out and got bored of it. And then whenever there's a time to do another one, we'll, we'll do another one. But it was weird writing it again because I was like, fuck, is, it still, is that still funny? Or do people still think that's worth writing about? And It'd only been like a month since I'd done one before, so I was probably putting too much pressure on myself. But yeah, it ended up going down well. And the weird thing now is people that I've written about and slagged off in the past now like WhatsApp me about it when it comes out <laughs> and stuff. I'm like reach out to me and be like, oh, fucking good, it was a good issue and this and that. So like, Sam Jones is on the WhatsApps and that. And I rinsed Sam Jones on a on an issue and now he's like, oh, I better go into hiding, contaminated food for thoughts coming out. I'm like, you're all right this week, man. You're all right. So, yeah, it's interesting. It's definitely, it's got a place, mate, but it's just whether it's got a place on the other side of the fence, which is balancing it with everything else that I do away from writing. So, yeah, it was good. It's got, Hopefully it's you enjoyed got it. It's got to work for you. It's got to work for you, man. And, uh, you know, I think um, it's like it's like with a, a TV series. You want to leave the people wanting more. You don't want to do it until people are sick of it. You know, you don't want it to be like The Simpsons, yeah. where here we are, 34 seasons in, and but, like, the people are still watching that. People are still watching The Simpsons. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's... it's uh, no, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And I think, I imagine the people in boxing... There's so many fucking sycophants around and they get the people that, that, you know, that hold the cameras up and interview them. It's probably refreshing to have someone to say, yeah, but you're full of shit there, mate. Yeah. And I spoke to a, I ended up on the phone about some, something completely different to uh, Ben Shalom last week for about 40 minutes, just kind of off the record, him clarifying some things and I ended up not writing an article I was going to write, blah, blah, blah. But, um... I, said, I had to say to him at the start of the call, I was like, because uh, I know that they weren't happy about a few issues because the comms guy from Boxer had reached out to me and said, you know, Ben's upset, I'm not happy about this, or blah, 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 which is fine, he's, he's within his rights to feel that way. But when I spoke to him on the phone, he was like, no, it's fucking, like, people like you need to be doing what, you, what you're doing. There's so many other people just 
acting on behalf of promoters or spinning it as though they're independent media. He's like, I don't care. Like, whatever you write about me, I might not be happy about it, but you should fucking keep doing it. You, you need to keep doing it. And I've had a lot of bits of feedback like that from people that I've mentioned, the fight guys at Fight Disciples who I rinsed a few times in a row. And they messaged me like, no hard feelings. Like, the stuff's great. Keep doing it. We, we don't take it personally. So people can detach themselves from the fact they were mentioned. And I think sometimes in boxing, people can point at themselves and laugh at themselves as well and go, fuck, I do sound like a company man. Or I shouldn't have said that. That does sound a bit stupid. Or, you know, you have to have that self-deprecation, I think, if you want to succeed in a, an industry like boxing where you're constantly exposed to sound bites and clips and, and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. No, well, it comes back when it comes back and, you know, we'll all be looking forward to it. And I imagine, you know, it's not like you're lying to anybody. You're just saying the truth, but in a really <laughs> funny way, you yeah. know. Um, I nearly said something. Uh, yeah, thanks, mate. You're very welcome. Um, you think Charlo will go back to 154? Yeah, I would say so. Maybe 160, maybe maybe he stops off at 160 while his brother's sorting himself out. Um, I don't think anybody will be scared to fight him now and, and maybe... You know, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it opens doors for him in terms of securing other fights. I seen Terence Crawford kind of scoffed at the idea that he could be asked fighting him again. Um, I think what that fight did was it kind of put me off the idea of a Canelo Crawford fight. Don't, listen, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm watching the shit out of that if it happens, but it kind of reinforced the reason that, that weight classes are there, especially when you get to those middle regions where there's like a stone between two weight classes. It's not like, you know, the one, two, fives of the world where, you know, you've got Warrington Wood this week. The difference in weight classes can be about three or four pounds sometimes. Those guys you're talking about seven pounds, half a stone, a stone of every two classes. So, uh, yeah, I think Charlo will go back down. Interested to see what happens with his brother as well. Yeah, uh, yeah and I, I don't know, Charlo, Charlo Crawford's a good fight. I just can't see Crawford losing that fight. No. He's just he's too good. He's too good. The thing, the thing is, in, in, in you'll know it is, is better than I will. In elite boxing, elite fighters hate to lose. They fucking detest it. Even, and I'm not saying Ricky Hatton was an elite fighter, but he had an elite mentality. The geezer lost to Mayweather and fell off a cliff because he hated losing that much. Some people won't leave the house for days on end after losing a fight. Jamel was okay losing. He was fine. He, it didn't bother him. There's certain people, you know, there's certain fighters that don't mind losing. And Jamel proved himself to be that kind of fighter. That he, if, you know, if he lost, he didn't care. He got paid a few quid. And that's that, really. And I think that's probably the one negative that's come out of PBC is that he's, they've all made fantastic money. They all get paid. You never hear a fighter saying, Al Heyman ripped me off. And that's great, right? But the... Someone said you can't put. I saw someone on Twitter say you can't put a businessman in a dogfight, and it, and you need he needed to, yeah great he, he needed to be in a dogfight at the weekend, and he just wasn't interested in having it. He was interested in not getting knocked out, getting to the twelfth round, getting the check, and then going back to one fifty four or maybe going to one sixty. If I was him, I'd go to one sixty because. He doesn't seem to want fun. <laughs> you know, we talk about we talk about Canelo's voice going up an octave when David Benavidez is mentioned. You mentioned Tim Zhu to, to Jamel, and he starts <laughs> to do a little bit like this, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's interesting. I think you touched on something there, which always kind of it's always something that I wonder about. And you, you mentioned that elite fighters never think they're going to lose, or they're never happy losing. And I always think to myself. 
Is it always a negative thing to be aware that you're in danger of losing against another top fighter? Or, or does it add an extra level of awareness mm. when you're in the ring? Does it add another level of preparation, you know, before the fight? To, to be on edge and to know that someone at the equally at the top of the sport, you're fighting them. And I get that whole, like, steely mentality of, I, I will not be beaten, I am the best, I am this and I'm that. And I know you have to have that to an extent. But I do wonder, and maybe the answer's no in boxing, by the way, but I do wonder sometimes, having that little bit of doubt, having that little bit of, this is, a, this is an outcome that is possible here if I switch off or if I don't take it seriously. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I wonder if it's always a bad thing or, or if there's a space for that in boxing at the top level. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think there is. And I think that's why negotiations drag on perhaps as, as long as they do because these fighters know that I could lose this. So they want to get two things. They want to get paid as much as they can, but also they want things to be in their advantage. And that's what we were talking earlier on about credit to Canelo. And that's the other thing you have to credit Canelo with is with the Billy Joe Saunders fight. That was perhaps, you'd think... Now, out of Callum Smith and Caleb Plant and Billy Joe Saunders, I think at the time, out of the three, you think, Billy Joe Saunders, that could be the one. And then Billy Joe Saunders came in with the whole, oh, I want a 22-foot ring. And Canelo yeah. goes, yeah, go on then. And, no, and yeah. he was like, oh, 22-foot ring, I'm pulling out the fight. And Canelo goes, yeah, all right, no problem. It's like, fuck. He won the fight there. As soon as he said that, he'd won yeah. the fight. It was over. And Billy Joe Saunders actually did all right until he got hurt and quit. Um, yeah, but I think he's he's another one. He was he was never gonna he was never gonna put a dent in Canelo, and and it's all good boxing on the back foot and being slick and stuff. But if if you can't hurt the guy and the guy's content to march you down, it's going to be really hard to nick a decision, especially against someone who's a house favorite and it's in you know Vegas or whatever it was. And yeah. It's yeah, it's a weird one. I, I fucking love it when people do that. You know, when boxers go, yeah, cool, no worries. A new age, another one. Yeah, and I think we've seen it with Usyk. We've seen it with Usyk and the Fury stuff as well, which ended up getting a bit tangled at the end. But when Fury was doing his video, why don't we just take away the rematch clause? And Usyk was like, yeah, sound all good, because you're like, oh shit, you've made me look like an asshole here. Uh, okay, mm. what about this? Yeah, cool, no worries. Yeah. Let's do that as well. Yeah, <laughs> no, it was like, oh, seventy thirty. Yeah, all right, fine. It's weird to me. It's weird to me that you're counting another man's money. That's so strange to me. Take what you get paid what you're getting. He gets paid what he's paid. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about what I'm getting. You worry about what you're getting. Yeah. It's very weird. It's about I'm not an elite boxer and I couldn't t- I've never been that near, near that sort of money. So I'm sure I'm sure they know what, what they're doing. Um 
Yeah, no, you're right, though. It is, there is something in that, in kind of the top, top level, when you see that kind of element of, of danger. And I always get dug out for mentioning Mayweather on the pod, and I really try to skirt my way around it, try not to do it. But it makes me, <laughs> it makes me think of Mayweather Pacquiao. Mayweather was ripped. He was ripped on the scales. He was serious business. And I remember at the end of the fight, Jim Lampley said, Floyd was serious business all the way through. He took this seriously. Manny Pacquiao's thanking Floyd for the fight. He's taking selfies in the ring walk. He's taking selfies at the weigh-in. And it's like, there's there's one guy who will not lose. And there's a guy that doesn't mind that doesn't mind if he does yeah. or not. And it's, it is, it's just that mentality. It's a difference in kind of mentality. And I think what we saw in, in Jamel is that he doesn't have the mentality, you know, of, of a Mayweather or, you know, that, that sort of level, but who not many people do, right? Um, you mentioned Callum Smith a couple of times and I, and I wrote it down. Um, I wrote it down because I wanted to ask you before I forget. Do you give him a shot against Better Be in January? Um... I think Bitter Beavs at that weird age, isn't he, where any fight now his his age will expose itself. Do you know what I mean? Like you, any whatever fight, it could be the next one, it could be the one after. Every fight now, the odds are going to get a little bit tighter and a little bit tighter. I mean, I was honestly so disappointed in Callum Smith when he fought Canelo. I was so disappointed. He was he was huge. He was always in great shape. You know, he he looked like he was. He was hitting, you know, he was he was knocking guys out, you know, really heavy-handed, technically pretty solid. I was so disappointed in his performance. I was like, what was the point in turning up? You know, all this hype, chasing the fight, you know, it was billed as like, you know, the Brit that could do it and all this sort of stuff. And he just, he didn't offer anything at all. So that, that makes me think twice about, all right, cool, you know, he came back at light heavyweight, he left the boy Lennon Castillo twitching on the canvas on one of the AG undercards. You know, he fought another guy for a European title or a, or a European, I don't know, a bobble of some sort. Like, that's all well and good. But when he steps in against a guy like Baterbiev now, does he then go back into that shell again as soon as he gets hit or as soon as he can't walk someone down? Or I don't know, and it feels weird saying it, but Callum, it's Callum Smith's, is his biggest win an older, injured George Groves? Yeah. Is that his biggest win? It is at this point, yeah. Because so he won that belt, he beat George Groves, he never did anything with it. I know he had a baby in that time. Uh in that there was a period where he was inactive for ages after beating Groves and I think he had a baby in well he didn't have the baby, his missus had the baby. Um <laughs> But yeah, it is. It is at this point. It's winning that final because didn't he get a buy or something? He got a substitute during the tournament and Scogland, remember um, yeah. Scogland had to retire for a for a brain injury and they replaced him with a Dutch kickboxer. Yeah. Yeah. Nicky Holtzgen or something like that, who'd barely had a, a professional fight. But then he had obviously the one with Ryder where everyone thought Ryder had deserved to, to nick that fight on the cards. Um and I'm struggling to think of a bigger performance. And then he eventually makes it up to the the very pinnacle of the sport fighting Canelo. And offers very, very little. So my danger is he, he does the same again. I think Baterbiev will stick it on him. The only question maybe you could have is Baterbiev is, is getting guys out of there normally before the 8th, ninth, 10th round. You know, if, if he makes it to the middle rounds and he's still got plenty in the tank, Callum Smith, could he start to wear him down? Does he catch him with a 
you know, he's got that lovely catch counter, doesn't he? He can catch people when he's when he's on the defensive as well. So maybe it gets a bit interesting in the second half of the fight. But you'd have to you'd have to fancy Baterbi, I think. You would. He's, he's he's like that's that's the thing I always think about when I think about the fight. I just think it's it's Callum's performance against Canelo. You know, he's the first and only time he's been at that kind of elite level and he just didn't turn up at all. And there's not really much else to go on because Groves, you know, he'd had the shoulder, they had to kind of rush him back to make the final because it had to be at this certain time. Yeah. In hindsight, I think Groves maybe regrets it, although maybe he doesn't because he got paid very well for it. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it was just, it's not much really to go on with Callum Smith. And he's, there's not, he's not really done anything at like heavyweight. You go, well, fuck me, that was a great thing. Do you know what I mean? There's no. there's nothing. He's kind of just put because he had a WBC kind of ball ball. He's kind of managed to politic his way straight into a, a mandatory situation, which is fair enough. Um, yeah, I think age is going to be the factor, but I think better be if you get him out of there by halfway. But it's it's still a way off. But it was just because we've mentioned him a couple of times. I just wanted to ask you about it. That was all. Um, how much have you, had you seen of uh, Jaya Pattaya before the weekend? Not much. Not much, mate. I'd seen him against Paredes, uh, and I wasn't, I wasn't sure whether that was Opataya being great or Bredis being fallen off a cliff, to use your phrase from earlier on, because Bredis has become a bit of a wacky caricature of a, of a guy now, isn't he? We're dressing up as Super Mario and releasing a fucking rap song, talking about Jake Paul, and he's almost just become a bit cringe. So I wasn't sure if it was either or. And, and to be honest, I'm probably still not sure, because... I think hopefully you'll agree, maybe not, but Jordan Thompson should never have been in there, mate. Come on, man. Jordan Thompson nearly got stopped off one of the boys he fought a couple of fights ago. Then his, his warm-up fight for this, or his fight directly before this, was Luke Watkins, who's been floating about sort of English level for for the last five years, ten years maybe. I just It made me feel a bit uncomfortable watching the fight, to be honest. I, I didn't enjoy watching it. I enjoyed watching Opataya work, and he's... He's very aggressive and, and, you know, he's predatory, but it was a lamb to the slaughter for me. It was uncomfortable to watch it, to be honest. And he, and Jordan Thompson took a beating. He wasn't stopped with one big shot. He, he took a beating. He was too brave for his own good as well. And it only went four rounds. So. Yeah, his face was a mess. And they, by the halfway yeah. through the fourth round, his face was a complete mess. I remember getting towards the end of the third round. I think he'd been dropped by then. And he'd gone back to the corner. His face is a mess. And I thought, pull him out. Like, pull him out, please. Just... And then Tony Sims goes, I'm going to give you one more round. I was like, why? For what? For what possible reason are you giving him another round? Like, he's being battered. He's getting hurt. Yeah. Every time Every time Opatai was landing a straight left hand, he was being hurt. And then he got him out of there. You're right. It was nice. It was good to see him. And I see what Matchroom have done. They've put, you know, they've signed a guy from Australia. Um... They brought him over to England because Matcham are predominantly a British promoter. They don't have much of a presence in Australia. Um, and they've b- tried to introduce him to a British audience. So put, put him with a British fighter. Fine. Makes sense. Get it. But yeah, they've put him in with someone that's just completely out of his depth. And you just... I said this to John last time. Just why did they just let him go and sign with a fucking boxer? <laughs> Because they've got no one to match him with. They're going to put him in the rematch with Breedis. You know, you never know what will happen there. But they've got nothing for him. And he look actually, one thing I did know, he looks quite small for a cruiser. He doesn't look yeah. like... He looks like a light heavy, doesn't he? Yeah, he's, he's not He's not the biggest. And I think just to go back to your boxer and, and 
matchroom chat. I think that, and this is something I've spoke to people involved about directly. I think there is a growing thought that maybe he was used as a bit of a power play by by matchroom. That that signing was used as a bit of a power play, a bit of a we're bigger than you, we can do this, you can't. You know, we'll we'll outbid you in purse bids. Yeah. I think Matchroom's long-term strategy for Jayo Pattaya is probably still up in the air. I don't think they really have one. I think they just wanted to obviously sign a great fighter to to a deal and, and stick him on their platform, but I think it was probably more about knowing how invested Boxer were to trying to get a deal done, which I think was at the very advanced stages. And when that showed signs of being ready to go, or it showed signs of maybe there was a, a little bit of wriggle room, Matchroom then imposed themselves and were a bit sneaky about getting something done. And that this fault, this fault lies on both sides, right? If boxer aren't tight enough or aren't robust enough to make sure a deal gets done without fucking about back and forward, then they're open to having something stolen from under their noses. But I think the the politicking from some of our broadcasters, there's there's a lot going on behind the scenes that I think boxing fans would probably be amazed amazed to hear. So yeah. Where, where Opataya goes if he fights in the UK again who knows uh, who does he fight does he have a unification with my good mate Chris Billum smith does he fight Richard Riakpour you know it'll be interesting to see what happens but I, I don't believe he is a major part of Matchroom's plans moving forward I don't think I'm the only one that would think that no no I'd, I'd be surprised if he is just because they don't off the top of my head I don't know if they've got any cruiserweights really you know on their roster really to, to, to match him with really they're going to they're going to do the Breedis rematch, and you know I don't know where they'll have that. If they'll have that back over in Australia, if they'll have it in um, you know in Latvia, or maybe somewhere back in England um, on an AJ undercard, maybe or back out in Dubai, or you know somewhere something like that. So they both get paid a few quid. It's it's a weird yeah. one, and it's it makes makes me kind of think of Charles Martin because you know when Anthony Joshua fought Charles Martin, they just threw threw the book at uh, Charles Martin and got him over and got the belt, and it's almost like boxer needed to do that. So, you know, if you believe in Reactpour, if you believe that he can beat Jaya Pattaya, well, fucking throw the, throw the throw the book at him, get him over, get the belt, fuck him off again, and, and then you, you're off to the races then, aren't you, really? Um, yeah. Because they kind yeah. of messed around. That happened a couple of times, didn't it, with that fight, with Pattaya, Reactpour, and now they've missed out, and that fight's dead now, And you know, unless yeah. unless one of the boxer guys ends up going the other way over to Matron, which you never know, you never know. Um, and these are, I think these are, these are the kind of deals that fans don't really pay much attention to, right? Because if you if you don't make react poor Opataya, you don't just miss out on that fight. You miss out on control of a portion of the world title. And every other fight that Opataya has now will have a deal built in, which will probably give Matchroom or Dizon primary option on the next fight or the next three fights or so as soon as you drop the ball on something like that it's not just one fight that's been missed and our react poll will have to come again it's potentially locking the door on that world title until something dramatic changes and that's where all the politics and the fucking about comes in but yeah hopefully cruiserweight's at a decent stage right now where there are some tasty fights bubbling but we just need to see them don't we domestically we started to see a few decent ones I think uh, Isaac Chamberlain, Mikel Lawal is a great co-support. Yeah. It's a great co-main event for a British card. That's a good fight. Billum Smith's obviously world champion. O'Coley's still messing about down there. You know, it'll be interesting to see where it goes, but let's just let's just throw them together because none of those guys are really young. They're all in their 30s now as well. So let's 
let's make it happen. Yeah, I think, I kind of think, you know, there was the Billings with a Coley rematch that was kind of been spoken about, but it's gone very quiet. You think Akoli would go up to heavy, and then you know maybe you could just put in React Paul with Bill and Smith. They fought before. I know Bill, uh, React Paul stopped him the first time, but Bill and Smith's did he? Whoa, 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 whoa! I will not have any Bill and Smith slander. Did not stop him. It was a very, it was a very narrow points victory for React Paul. My, my apologies. I thought he stopped him. Contentious, some may say. I have to look that up. I reckon what I heard is that Bill and Smith quit. <laughs> 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 I can't. I thought he stopped him. Um, um, so yeah, there's, there's. I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's a lot. I think why don't you just make Billum Smith against React Poor? You know, make the rematch. Um, you know, Billum Smith. It can be. I don't know what you could. Call. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Call it, you could call it kind of no more quitting or something like that. Um... <laughs> oh, he did. He lost a split. You're it. right. He I'm lost a split. You're right. He lost a split. I thought he stopped him. Don't know where I got that. I'm very invested in Chris Billum Smith's career, mate. It's the only person that I try and uh, that I can't be impartial about. He's such a nice guy. That's fair. See, I, I see that uh, he does some stuff for uh, Boxing News, and I remember when uh, when Rob Tebbett was at Boxing Social, he would he would feature Chris Billum Smith quite a lot. And so that may, to be honest with you, Craig, that makes me go the other way. I go, I go, I'll, I'll be, <laughs> people like him, do they? Oh, people think he's a nice guy. I'll be fucking losers next time out. Um, I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm sure he is a nice guy. I'm sure he is. That would explain your love for me, whether I suppose that opposites attract. I do, uh, I do. Yeah, genuinely, I do that. If if someone's really loved and is the darling, I go the other way. I don't know what that is. I just do. Um Let's talk, let's talk about this weekend. Um, not, not, we won't go massively in depth just because it's Friday and the fight's tomorrow and I don't want to date the pod too much. But there's a few fights. We'll just quickly get some quick predictions. Uh, it's, it's Lee Wood against Josh Warrington um, for the WBA featherweight title. Uh, I, at first, I've kind of thought, mm, yeah, Lee Wood will batter him. He'll stop him. La, la, la. Josh Warrington's done. But actually, I think it might be a pretty decent fight. I've just seen a, I've just seen a picture of Joe, uh, Josh Warrington on the scales, and he looks absolutely horrendous. Oh dear! So I'm going to go Leewood to stop him. Okay. <laughs> I'll go Leewood to stop him between five and eight. I'll say, uh, yeah, he looks extremely gaunt on the scales. Yeah. But I listened to I listened to Matt and Alex Steedman on the Boxing News podcast, and they were talking about it. Um, and they both thought it would be a, a really competitive, exciting fight. I, I don't disagree. I think it will have its moments, even if it goes short. I think they're both 
probably well matched. I don't think either of them are at the top of the weight division, so I think it's probably like a good time for them to fight. It's probably just a bit earlier than coming too late. Um, in another year, I think it would be too far gone for the two of them. I think there'd be a an obvious an obvious slip in either one of them by that point. So I think it's just at the right time for it happening to make it still relevant, still fun, still an exciting fight. And you think? Who do you think will win? Yeah, now you said he looks terrible on the scales. He's one of those that kind of flirted with the idea of going to one thirty. Um, so yeah, you got to pick. You got to pick Lee Wood. He's the puncher in the fight. Josh Warrington's looked on the wane for quite some time, probably since the first Lara fight. He's managed to skate by. He. he I think the other thing is he's coming off a loss, isn't he? You know, he lost to Lopez, but Lopez is a great fighter. We saw in the Michael Conlon fight. He's He's destructive. If you if you get in front of him, and he did well, I think he went the distance in the end, didn't he, Warrington? You know, to to, to stand in yeah. front of a guy like like that Michael Conlon did, his tactics that night were unbelievably bad. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> he just tried to he tried to, to steam in against a guy that punches that hard. It was it was amazing. Um, so yeah, I, I think Lee Wood will. I think Lee Wood will probably stop him. I agree with you. I think sometime in the in the middle rounds um, and. Does Terry Harper, Cecilia Breakhouse do anything for you at 154? Breakhouse is kind of, she retired, she lost to McCaskill and she's come back. Do you, do you think give her much of a chance at Terry Harper? When you say do anything for me, do you mean boxing-wise or? Yeah, but yeah, in terms of as a fight, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, no, not much. Um, I think probably, I think probably it would be Terry Harper on points. It would be the bet, wouldn't it? I don't imagine the odds are, are super long for that. Mm. Breakhouse is a fair age now and I think she had this period of time where women's boxing was still on the rise and she was dominating, you know, consistently for about 10 years. Mm. You know, I think she was undisputed for a, for a super long period of time. It's a different landscape now and I think Harper's just too young, too fresh. I quite like Terry Harper. I think she's good. Mm. I think she's decent. Um, and I think she'll win on points. Yeah. I don't think she stops her, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah no, I agree. I think points I think I, I just guess in women's boxing there isn't there isn't many point, uh, knockouts really is there um, no. seeing Caroline Dubois getting knocked down last week was a bit of a treat it's like you don't see that very often um, yeah. so it's good to see um, and then over stateside I'm actually stunned that these two haven't boxed before because they've both been with top rank for a while um, Zerdo Ramirez and Joe Smith Jr it's going to be Ramirez isn't it he's going to be too big at that weight is it Cruiser is it Cruiser Neither of them are cruisers, are they? Oh, I don't, I don't know if I like that to be honest. Um, yeah, it'll be. You would imagine it would be Ramirez. Although sometimes, when you watch Ramirez, you wonder if he can really be asked boxing, don't you? You watch him, and you, I remember when he was with Golden Boy. He was with Golden Boy for years, wasn't he? And before he kind of jumped ship to top rank in the last few years, and he was always that guy that was like thirty nine and or forty and all, but he never really fought anybody. I think his best win for a long time was Jesse Hart at super middleweight. And Joe Smith's the kind of guy you can never really count him out. You know, you'd probably imagine he loses the fight, but you wouldn't be surprised if he turns it on and somehow just stops Ramirez in the fourth or fifth round with a big flurry of punches. He's very likable. I think he's a is he a builder or something like yeah. that? And he's yeah. get out the builders, Frank Smith. Um so yeah, I don't you would imagine Ramirez wins it. I'll say probably points if Joe Smith's still got enough in the tank and if he's been training and, and staying fit. Yeah, no, I, I, you would think... I, just, I need to double-check this. Is it Cruiser now? It's, oh, it's, it's a light heavy. <laughs> it's like, so, Jesus, man. I'm so sorry. I thought it was yeah, a Cruiser. It wasn't getting better. 
I doubted myself, <laughs> and I'm glad I did. It's a light heavy. Um, that doesn't change much, does it, really? I still think Zerdo's the, the fresher guy, um, bigger man, naturally. Um, yeah. I thought he was a cruiser. So sorry. Um, yeah, yeah, you'd, you'd think Ramirez. You'd think Ramirez would would win that pretty comfortably. Uh, one final thing before I let you go. I know you've got stuff on. Um, do you think Fury Usyk happens? I'm quite stunned at everybody's like boundless enthusiasm for that announcement last week. I think I put a tweet out that got a, a bit of traction where I was like, "We've done, we've done this before with other fights." There is an agreement being signed, but no, like nothing ever happens. So I'm at a stage now where I'm like, if it happens, great, superb. I've almost, I've almost made peace with the fact that it won't happen, uh, and that's from previous, you know, previous chat on it, previous negotiations that have fallen through. Uh, I'll nail my colours to the mast and say that this round of negotiations or this agreement won't lead to the fight happening next. Yeah. What do you think? Uh... Do you know what makes me think it will is that the TV companies are posting about it. Yeah. That's what makes me think, okay, because I saw TNT were posting about it, Top Rank, ESPN. I thought, okay, if it, if this was Queensbury, right, if Queensbury were posting and Fury was posting, I'd be like, eh. But when I saw TNT get involved and Top Rank get involved and tweet about it, I was like, okay. And Instagram, it was Instagram I saw those two. I thought... Right, if the TV companies are involved, they're not going to really, they're, they're not going to tolerate any fuckeries, really. They're, they're not going to advertise something that, you know, that, that they kind of half know is not really going to happen. That's the only thing that makes me think, maybe it will. But you're right. And, you know, I remember somebody said, and I don't know who it was, some old time, I think, from the States, unless you see a venue and a date, it's not done. And we don't have a venue and we don't have a date. So that's the one thing that makes me that does make me slightly worry. Um, yeah. I'm just hoping Usyk turns up. Oh, mate, I would absolutely love Usyk to win. And if it's in Saudi, you know the big the big man's linked to Saudi with Skills Challenge and all that sort of stuff. You know, it's not as though he would be fighting on enemy soil, no. which it seems to me as though it would be a, a kind of level playing field. So, I'd, the one the one big thing for me is. I look at I look at both guys and everyone talks about their footwork and stuff. For me, the big difference in the fight, obviously Fury's a lot bigger, blah blah blah, but when you assess their footwork, like everything Usyk does is thought out, it's well drilled, there aren't silly mistakes, there's not really sloppiness. Fury's got really good feet for a big guy, but he's very sloppy as well. You know what I mean? He crosses his feet, you seen against Steve Cunningham, he gets clipped, he gets clipped against Wilder, his feet are all you know, he's a good mover. He's not a well-drilled, every single thing is thought out, every single thing is to the letter. He, he does make mistakes, and Usyk doesn't really make many mistakes. And that's the that's the thing for me when I'm like, I'm going to be surprised if Usyk beats him on points, mate. Mm. Do you know what? The, closest, the more I think about it, I think you're right. There's a, there's a few things here. You're right. Fury's, he's kind of, he's obviously very good. Um, but he's dined out on his size for a while. Um, he gets, you know, and this is why I can't get along. Pound for pound, stupid, and it's just a bit of fun. But I can't get along with him being him being in the top ten because he's just so fucking no. big, and he's just, his size is such a big part of his success. Um, but yeah, there's that. He's slowing down. He's not the fighter he was. He is not as good as he was in the first, say, Klitschko fight. In the Klitschko fight, or the yeah. first, he's not. 
He's not that fighting or he's definitely slowed down. He can get clipped. And he, of late, he's, in, he's fighting, you know, Wilder, who's kind of a massive puncher, but technically not very good at all. He's fought Dylan White, who looked horrible. Then he's fought, you know, 12 lost Derek Chisora, which was kind of a, a spa, to be honest, wasn't it? Yeah. And now yeah. he's fighting the UFC guy. He is playing a dangerous game in terms of getting prepared for the number two, number one heavyweight in the world and the, arguably the greatest cruiserweight of all time. He is not... This is not the preparation for this level of competition, really. Even even Usyk can fight in Dubai. He's still fighting a massive lump who's coming to win. You know, yep. fighting you know, Francis Ngannou, Chisora, White, none of those guys came to win. None of them did. They came to get no. paid. Usyk's coming to win, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So, and he just he just looks in horrendous fucking shape. Looks horrible. Fury, yeah, he he looks terrible, man. And I know that's part of his whole thing, but you know, exceptionally so. And if they're talking about it being at the end of this year and at the start of next year, what's he giving himself a couple of months? When does he fight uh, in Ghana? Twenty eighth of October. Correct. Yeah. So he's given himself two, three months to to try and get in the the shape of his life to have the fight of his life. I just. I don't know, man. I don't think it's a landslide in Fury's favour. I don't think he should be a sizable favourite. I think it's a really close fight. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and you, if anyone can find a way out of the biggest fight in boxing, it's Tyson Fury. He'll find a <laughs> he'll find a way to get out of it if he possibly can, because um, he's never seemed keen on fighting Usyk. But anyway, that will do. Thank you so much, my friend. I really appreciate your time. Um, Pleasure as always. Yeah, let us know when you're next putting something out, and we'll, we'll give it a push for you. Absolutely, thank you. All right, take care. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.